Wednesday Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. This week we've got quite a lot of news to cover. We'll be looking at Telstra CEO Andy Penn's call for a regulatory reset to make our economy fit for purpose for the digital age. We're looking at the latest mobile phone sales data from Kantar, which shows that sales are rising again, plus some interesting insights on who is buying iPhones. Uh, And also we're going to be hearing about communities in the Gold Coast hinterland that want fibre and not satellite. We'll also be taking a trip to Adelaide to have a look at a big milestone achieved by 10 gig, the TPG network there. And also taking a look at the draft guidelines for round 5A of the mobile black spots program. But first, let's take a look at the big announcement from NBN this week, a raft of announcements billed as being as big as the Focus on 50 announcements of two years ago, which completely revolutionised the speed profile of Australian broadband consumption. This time, it's incentives for retail service providers to migrate customers to higher speeds at the uh, 100 meg or above mark, a phase-out of the 40% CVC boost that was introduced as um, a reaction to the pandemic, and also better pricing for entry-level broadband bundles. I thought we should hear it uh, direct from the horse's mouth, so to speak, uh, NBN's Chief Customer Officer, Brad Whitcomb, who I spoke with earlier in the week. Yeah, so, Grail, I mean, just to uh, start off, maybe uh, step down a little bit of memory lane with me. Uh, I think it was about three years ago that as we were just starting to scale up um, our network, we noticed that the vast majority of our customers were on low-speed plans, a lot on 12.1 and 25. And that was despite the fact that at that time we had about 4.5 million homes and businesses that were able to order speeds of 50 meg or greater. Um, and so in conjunction with our retail partners, that's when we kicked off what's turned out to be our highly successful Focus on 50 program, really incentivizing the industry to move customers up onto that you know, up onto the 50. And we did see um, significant uptake. I think we've got 70% of all of our customers now are on speeds of 50 or above. We're seeing three quarters of all new customers come in on 50 or above. And we've also seen remarkable improvements in our customer experience over that time. So if we play that forward to today, um, on the back of our ongoing network investments over those last three years, we've now got 7.8 million um, homes and businesses that are able to order not only 50 meg, um, but in fact speeds of 100 meg or even faster. Um, at the same time, we've seen kind of our digital lives transform before our very eyes. And we think that this convergence of customer appetite and needs with our increased network performance puts us on the threshold of really the next step in our customer experience journey, and that is to shift to what we're calling the focus on fast. And essentially that's um, looking to make it as compelling um, for the industry to move customers up onto speeds of 100 and above as we had three years ago focusing on that 50. And there's really two um, key components that I wanted to to the initiative that I want to highlight. Um, First would be on December 1st, we will be significantly increasing the CVC inclusions on our higher speed tiers. And for us, that's our home fast and above, so that 120 or faster. Um, 
and we will be adding an additional um, half a meg of CDC to all of those higher speed plans um, at no additional cost to our retailers. And that is, that's got a wholesale value of $4 for that, that half meg. And we believe that will provide immediate CDC relief to retailers, but at the same time, it's going to make those higher speed tiers even more attractive than they are today. And then um, on February 1st, we'll follow that with substantial financial incentives, which focus on those higher speed tiers. Now, these are incentives which we will put in the market for six months, and they they cut across most of our speeds. So for the for the 50 meg plan, um, for customers that upgrade off of a lower speed plan onto that 50, uh, we will be um, offering $8 per customer per month to our retailers to help make that more possible. Essentially, what that says is we'll price our 50 at the same um, wholesale cost as what we currently charge for the 25. And then for either new or upgrading customers, we are essentially making all of the speed tiers from the, the home fast all the way up to the ultra fast, uh, the equivalent of $56 a month um, for that six-month period. Um, at the high end, that, that equates to a $24 per month um, reduction on our wholesale costs. On the ultra fast, it's a smaller amount as you work down to the um, the home fast, but nevertheless, it is a substantial um, reduction in, in the cost of those, what we'd be charging on to the retailers. Um, also, keeping in mind that not everybody is interested in um, very fast speeds. We've still kept our minds firmly focused on uh, the entry level. Uh, so we've got a roadmap which sees our wholesale price of that entry-level bundle drop from $27.40 to $26.60. And that's on a path to being uh, down, all the way down to $22.50 uh, by May. And then finally, just rounding out uh, what we're announcing um, as we have moved past the initial shock coming from COVID and the response to COVID, uh, we had previously announced um, that we are um, removing the, the 40% CDC boost. However, we will be tapering that down over the months of December and January and then getting back to um, more of a normal level um, in February of um, next year. What's the thinking yeah. behind um, effectively standardizing that six-month pricing at $56 for, for a whole range of products, You're ranging from effectively 100 meg up to a gigabit. So really we, um, again, this is not the talk to retail pricing, but just for the wholesale pricing, and it's really to make it um, extremely attractive for the industry to um, to encourage customers up onto those those higher speeds. It's as simple as that. We want to, we want to keep it simple. Um, clearly, the the the, um, the the pricing strategy that underpins the work that we've done over the last several years is this concept of, of a little bit more for a lot more. Uh, we would like to find ourselves in a position where um, the NBN retailers and and customers are all having that triple win. And ultimately, it's about trying to drive that higher customer experience. And we believe for a number of customers, that higher customer experience will come from moving on to a higher speed plan. Not all, but um, a number of them. 
And so it's really to make it as easy and attractive for retailers as possible to um, move customers up to those higher speeds. With the entry-level discount, um, you effectively are going $4 from a current level to $4.90 less um, by May next year. Again, what's the thinking there? because NBN quite vigorously defended that pricing level in its various um, communications with the ACCC, for example, over the past year. So how was the thinking on that change? And what do you expect that to do to uptake at that lower tier? Yeah, so I think given our position in the industry, we have to balance a number of stakeholder interests. Um, certainly there, you know, there is a desire um, among stakeholders to be able to create an easy path from people that are coming off of legacy services onto an NBN service. So we've had the, I think we look at this comprehensively. What can we do to, you know, at the high end with the release of the ultra fast as an example and how we price that. And also what do we look at in terms of customers that have very modest data needs that are looking to migrate across off of legacy services. So I, I think you'd have to think of us as, balancing all of the stakeholders that's primarily um, the end customer and their experience and making sure that there's um, enough in it for our retail partners and also recovering um, sufficient revenue to be able to to reinvest in the network Um, and this is just one component of that okay now the tapering off of the cvc i guess for many RSPs, is the big aspect of this announcement because they've been intensely interested in finding out um, what the final plan would be there. It's it's a phase out over two months. You get you go to seventy five percent in in December and then fifty percent in January. Two two months is that a little sudden to be, to be tapering this off, or or do you feel that given the ex- several extensions that you've given on the forty percent CVC boost that this is actually a generous offer? Uh, I believe it's generous. We we stepped into this back in February with the intent to create a shock absorber for the industry. I think if we you know turn our minds back to February, we really weren't sure what was going to happen. We'd seen some outlier cases. I think Italy in particular, where they saw their traffic grow um, in the busy hour almost as high as forty percent, which is why we pegged our initial support at that level. Uh, we never actually saw us get quite to that level here in Australia, although certainly um, traffic during the day went up significantly with people working and, and studying. But even entertainment in, in the evening did go up. Um, and so we did see that increase in usage um, during um, during the evening. We've added um, 950,000 customers to the network since that February sort of baseline was established. Um and we, um, and of course, those customers are all consuming um, network resources. If we actually look at where we are and we exclude Victoria, we're actually slightly below where we expected to be um, in terms of um, consumption during the busy hour. And that, we, of course, we, we developed our plan pre-COVID. Um, if we include Victoria, um, which is still in, obviously, um, a much tighter lockdown than the rest of the nation, we're still within 2% of what our forecasts had been in the pre-COVID level. So, And we use you know, the standard industry models, looking at Cisco and others, and kind of coordinating around about a 25% CAGR growth 
um, and we're more or less bang on that number. So we have extended it. The last time we extended it was to just make sure that we fully understood and appreciated what the impact was from the uh, the very stiff lockdown in, in Victoria um, and also with the OTT players who had sort of put bit rates on and off and on and we just wanted to make sure all that flowed through. Um, we're quite comfortable where we're at in terms of a level. Obviously, it'll vary by RSP, but we're looking at this across the board. 2% would be within any sort of, you know, forecasting or rounding error. So we, we think we're right about where we expect it to be. All that being said, um, you know, recognizing that um, the retailers will want to um, adapt. Uh, we're given a two-month um, tapering for this to come to a conclusion, and, and we do think it's, it's fair and generous. Okay, uh, looking at all these um, the, these rebates and CBC inclusions and month by month tapering off of CBC and so on, what, one observation that could be made is that it's quite complex and maybe a little difficult for RSPs to to model their internal forecasts around. How would you react to that observation? I think what we put forward today is um, will hopefully be well received. Uh, by the industry. I think it, it creates a, a similar dynamic to what we saw when we wanted to turn the attention to the 50, and now we're turning the attention to the higher speed plans, given that we've got you know 7.8 million homes and businesses that can access those plans. Um, I think there, you know, there is ongoing discussion in the industry around the fact that NBN um, retains a pricing model that includes a fixed component and a variable component. Um, we have responded to that feedback over time. I, I believe our, re- you know, if we look at it from the NBN revenue, uh, prior to bundles, about a third of revenue came from that variable component. Um, we have now reduced that down to, it's around 8% of our revenue comes from um, the variable side of that. So we have certainly uh, moved in that direction. Um, the, you know, the assertion around complexity coming from CVC, um, this has been around for, you know, a decade. We have built systems both within NBN and across the industry in, in, in order to be able to support it. Um, but we are very much open to, you know, simpler models, um, you know, better ways to appropriately allocate the true cost of um, providing that additional capacity to those who, who uh, consume it. Uh, we, we expect that there would still be some sort of a fixed and variable model in the future, but it doesn't necessarily have to be ABC, CBC. Okay. Now, I, I know we're out of time, so I've got one final question. Um, as you observe in the press release, um, when you launched the Focus on 50 campaign in 2017, you went from effectively 15% of premises on 50 megs up to more than 70% today. Do you have similar expectations for this new campaign that you may be able to shift similar percentages of market share onto the 100 meg plus speed tiers? Uh, If I turn back to when we launched that that 50, we certainly didn't have um, the expectation that it would be as successful as it was. It really was about um, unleashing the capability of this network and also increasing customer experience. And that's really where our minds are focused now. So it's not about necessarily 
a certain number of customers. We have to wait and see how the retailers respond and then how, how customers respond. So we're, we're confident we've got the right model, but we'll just have to wait and see how, how it plays out in the industry. Okay. Well, thank you very, very much for your time today, Brad. Thanks, Graham. Well, after I spoke with Brad, I did a quick whip around all of NBN's major RSPs to get some reaction to these new plans. Um, And uh, they were lukewarm to negative, would be my take. Um, Focus said uh, NBN is deliberately pricing lower speed tiers out of the market. 90% of consumers are on 50 megabits or lower speeds, meaning that when the CBC uplift is withdrawn, either their prices will go up or their experience will go down. Exotil said something similar. Um, RSPs could potentially skimp on bandwidth, leading to a poor customer experience or resort to putting up prices at times when many Australians whose taxes funded the NBN are experiencing a lot of distress through record levels of unemployment. Over at Optus, they said the CBC doesn't assist with good consumer experience or retailers' economics. There are other levers besides CBC that the NBN can pull to meet its ROI. For instance, NBN could either adjust its wholesale prices over time, with these costs being passed to end users of greater transparency, or they can innovate and develop new value-added services as other businesses do. Telstra said the fundamental issue is the CBC charge basically acts as a type of excess data charge the industry is endeavouring to eliminate the customers. Using complex discounts and bundling as announced reinforces the point and just creates uncertainty and embeds further wholesale price increases for RSPs, which are already too high. TBG said this is a short-term fix and ultimately a simple flat rate structure would provide retailers with long-term certainty and customers with the best possible experience when using MBN services. And finally, Aussie Broadband, a little more conciliatory, said... We are seeing usage patterns stabilise, but still at higher levels than NBN CBC inclusions. We will continue to work with NBN on where we see issues and possible solutions. Well, it was uh, a lot of news in the wireless sector this week. Um, First up, the new draft guidelines for mobile black spots around 5A. Here to tell us all about it is Executive Editor Rowan Pearce. Yeah, so round 5A, there's um, some significant changes. Obviously, it's based on the money that's left over from round 5, and there are some significant changes proposed in the uh, draft guidelines. I think um, one of the key ones to me is that it's not just open to mobile network operators. It's also going to be open to uh, mobile network infrastructure providers. So that means potentially like someone um, like BAI could potentially, who's expressed um, interest in actually rolling out neutral host infrastructure in Australia could potentially come in and apply for funds. Um, another key change is that operators won't need to provide 3G coverage. They can just offer 4G. And uh, another one that, um, that kind of like leapt out at me was that actually leased backhaul costs can actually be claimed over a 10-year period um, instead of just like claiming the costs of the, the backhaul that you actually own. I think actually just, just the, the other really interesting thing, I think, is that there's up to $8 million, which is going to be available for trials of kind of innovative solutions. So potentially that could be, um, you know, looking at things like the Rural Connectivity Group kind of model in New Zealand, which is a multi-telco consortium rolling out shared infrastructure in kind of regional parts of New Zealand. And um, on that note, I understand the ACCC uh, has advanced a view in support of infrastructure sharing. 
Yeah, there's um like uh, obviously the the government uh, previously raised the kind of idea of like active rand sharing, for example. Um, the HRPC is kind of. Uh, said that it's an interesting idea. The, the off-raters uh, differ quite a bit, though. Um, so uh, uh, Telstra, for example, is um, is not keen on it. It's um, I mean, Telstra, Telstra, Vodafone, and Optus have all said they're keen on like degrees of infrastructure sharing. Telstra has said that if you go with the active RAN model, there are going to be all sorts of problems, like delays in terms of like rolling out infrastructure in uh, black spot areas, that kind of thing. Whereas Vodafone is very, um, very keen on the idea for... Um, uh, obvious reasons, um, although it says that it needs to be, the kind of rural connectivity group needs to be underpinned by um, a domestic roaming regime, which obviously they've pushed for a number of years. Uh, to me, Optus seemed a bit ambivalent on the New Zealand model, um, although one, one thing that Optus has pushed was the kind of uh, the model used for the Victorian rail connectivity project where, uh, you know, Optus, uh, Vodafone and Telstra all kind of cooperated um, on delivering that project. And Optus suggested to the federal government that maybe, um, maybe instead of telcos putting in a bid for, you know, we're going to fill in the coverage for this particular black spot area, the government actually produces a list of areas that need, um, that require coverage, and then the kind of telcos can put a proposal to kind of deliver the coverage in that area. Okay, meanwhile, in Adelaide, uh, TPG's big project in the city there, uh, 10 gig Adelaide, hit a big milestone this week. Yeah, so um, so TPG in the city of Adelaide announced that they hit their target of connecting a thousand buildings to the um, the ten gig Adelaide um, network. Although TPG did tell me that now they've got the kind of like basic architecture of that network in place, they can potentially quite easily roll it out to additional buildings if there's that demand. And I, I understand uh, so far there's a um, there's several hundred businesses with active services on the network. And uh, one, the other thing that TPG said to me was that they're basically open to kind of like similar deals in other places. If, um, like, obviously they're able to deal, deliver um, cut price services to Adelaide businesses because of the deal with the council. Um, the other funny thing actually that struck at me is like Adelaide's also the home of like it's home of both a ten gig network and also Gig City Adelaide, which gets quite confusing. Which is um, that's obviously the the state government initiative based on the old SaberNet research network and operated by um, EscapeNet in the city. A lot of fiber for a small city. Well, as long as they know who's who, that's terrific for them. Thanks very much once again, Rowan. Cheers. Well, Telstra held its big annual show, Vantage, this week, where it showcases the best of what its own executives have to say, as well as its leading suppliers and partners. And uh, probably the most interesting uh, part of the event was its keynote with its CEO, Andy Penn. Uh, Paying attention for comms day was Simon Ducks, our chief editor. Hi there, Graham. Yes, it was... uh Pretty interesting uh, discussion that Andy uh, tried to kick off again. We have heard him talk about this before, and he was talking about a regulatory and policy reset that Australia really needs to do to really kick off a digital economy, essentially. And to quote him, he actually called for a systematic review of legislation and regulation at all levels of government 
federal, state and local to remove any rules and regulations that stand in the way of a paperless economy, a virtual economy and a cashless economy. And the interesting thing is we haven't got any details on that, but you can sort of get an indication of where he's going with that with one of the follow-up uh, calls that he made. And that was talking about the fact that with the completion of the MBN rollout, Australia's telecoms industry needs to reset its vision for the next decade and it should be technology agnostic and one that provides an environment that's pro-investment and pro-innovation. And you can get a bit of an inkling where he's going there about uh, protecting uh, any potential 5G that they're looking to do on the fixed wireless side. And uh, one of the key things he said there was that the vision should uh, consider the success of MBM, but not at the the expense of the rest of the industry, as is currently the case. Now, moving on, um, Kantar, the analysis company, had some interesting survey results out this week. They found, first of all, that mobile phone sales are rising again after suffering a bit of a dip through the pandemic. And and also uh, some very interesting insights on who is buying iPhones and which types of iPhones. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so Kantar really have uh, got a handle of what's happening in the Australian market on the handset. And uh, in the last quarter coming up to September, we were looking at a rise of 14%. So we're now seeing a bit of a kick up uh, post uh, a lot of the COVID lockdowns, which is quite interesting. But if you look year on year... Uh, it was still a 10% decline. Uh, So there's some more for the market to actually get up. One thing that struck me that I thought was really interesting was that almost one in five iPhone purchases last quarter were of the 2020 iPhone SE. Uh, It's a really popular phone. And the key thing about that is when Apple have just put out their iPhone 12, they've put out four versions. But now there's a lot of talk about the fact that they're going to have to emulate the SE and put out a low-cost iPhone 12 as well. On the Android side, uh, we've seen a little bit more increase in uh, market share for Android, although uh, both iPhone, iOS and Android are pretty flat uh, year-on-year at the moment. But uh, Samsung is still the, the king there and obviously had a bunch of new Notes and Galaxy S20 as well. Uh, one thing in Australia, uh, bucking the uh, trend in the market on year-on-year market decline was uh, Oppo. And uh, the key thing with those uh, guys is that they actually managed to get 20% in the quarter uh, increase versus the same period in 2019. So some of that is coming at the expense of Huawei as well. Uh, We're seeing their share uh, drop down to 2.6% now. Okay, finally... um We've had a lot of announcements out of NBN the past month or so regarding fibre upgrades and uh, all manner of pricing changes as well, designed to promote higher speeds. But um, not everyone appears to be benefiting, uh, particularly not in the Gold Coast hinterland, and they're unhappy and they want more. Exactly. Uh, it's uh, uh, the communities of Beachmont and Lower Beachmont, and uh, uh, that is the home of where Binnaburra Lodge is, uh, which uh, got done in the bushfires, and uh, they're restoring it at the moment, which is quite a famous place. It's an absolutely beautiful area, but uh, for a telco rolling out, it is quite a tricky area. We're talking about small communities there, and so uh, Gerv Luthaus an ICT consultant, a network veteran, and he also uh, resides in uh, those areas, is helping the communities 
look to try and put together an expression of interest and get some fiber companies interested in potentially rolling out uh, connectivity uh, to the two communities. They have some uh, legacy DSL there for people that are near the Telstra Exchange, uh, but uh, MBM for their part initially were talking about doing fixed wireless access there, but after uh, doing a bunch of surveys, they realized that uh, the terrain was uh, not really conducive for rolling out a network without a huge expense. And uh, so, of course, uh, they uh, reverted to Skymaster. And, of course, this is something that Gurr wants to uh, overturn. And uh, he's looking for a fiber company to help him do that. Okay. Well, on that note, thanks very much for joining us, Simon. Thanks a lot, Graham. It's prize time at Comms Day Live. We held a competition over the last few weeks where we invited people to post reviews and comments about this very podcast. And uh, the lure, the bait, was a free subscription to Comms Day. In fact, three free subscriptions to Comms Day. So joining me today is V Tran, our social media coordinator, and she is going to announce each of the three winners. Welcome, V. Cheers, Graham. Okay, who was the first winner? We have got Matt Evans from Melbourne here with a great review. Um, He wrote, Just like some of us can't start the day without coffee, many of us that work in the communications industry can't start the day without reading Comms Day. Well, having now caught the first seven episodes of the new Comms Day weekly podcast, I have another fix. This additional podcast platform from Comms Day is fantastic. While it reflects the the depth of the daily email edition with news across a wide spectrum of commercial, regulatory, political and tech analysis for Telco and ANZ, it adds flavor with interviews and commentary that bring the email edition to life. The dulcet tones... (laughs) My dulcet tones have invited laughter from (laughs) me. The dulcet tones, I thought that was really nice. The dulcet tones of podcast host Graham Lynch and commentary from editors Simon Ducks and Rohan Pierce make for easy and informative listening on the morning commute. I thoroughly recommend. Well, with a review like that, I can only say you are a winner, Matt. Um, Who's our second winner, V? Our second winner is Rakesh Kumar Padmanaban. Great initiative from a great comms company. He wrote, Comsday is the only publication company in Oceania region who is able to provide up-to-date information on what is happening with telco industry in ANZ. One of the reasons for their success is probably the relationship they have with every organization in the industry. It's a difficult task when telco is a competitive market. Didn't know that they started in 1994. I'm sure initially the big transformation was from paper to PDF, and this new effort to start a podcast just shows how innovative Comsday is as a publication company. As we move towards the fourth industrial revolution, I am certain that Comsday will be there in the journey, providing important technology news via their new podcast. It is difficult to find an honest and fair journal- journalism these days. Well, thank you very much. That, that was a lo- lovely review. And just on that comment about moving from uh, paper to PDF, we actually started off as a fax publication. Do you remember the fax machine? 
And uh, back in 1994, we faxed comms to AE to everyone every morning. And um, <laughs> funnily enough, I actually won an award for that in the mid-90s for innovation in publishing. Of course, you, wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't win an award like that these days for fax. So, V, who is our third and final winner? The third winner is Melissa Andrews, who wrote... Comms Day Live podcast is a fantastic extension to the industry-leading Comms Day publication. It expands in-depth on issues affecting the comms sector. The Comms Day team's access to people of influence in the industry is second to none, ensuring they have an informative and entertaining podcast. If you are involved in communications, it is a must-listen. Oh, well, that, that's very kind, and, and uh, congratulations to all our winners, and thank you for your very kind comments. Uh, so, um, Matty from Melbourne, Rakesh Kumar Padmanaban from Annexter, and Melissa Andrews from Connected Farms, you've all won a free subscription to Communications Day for 12 months worth $1,700. Congratulations and thank you. And thank you very much, B. And that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.